Welcome to the Superhero of Love podcast. I am Bridget Fonger. I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart and Then Go Save the World. That book is going to be out in January 2019, but I didn't want to wait until that time to start talking to superheroes of love. And guess what? Here's the news. You are a superhero of love. And through talking to other superheroes like yourself, tapping into that little superhero inside of you, I'm hoping that you and I and all of us start feeling more and more like superheroes of love, meaning that we love and are loved more than ever before. So welcome. Let's get this party started. Hey, superheroes. So today's interview is with Sterling Gardner. Sterling used to live in Los Angeles, and that's where I met him. He is an incredible writer and performer, um, an extraordinary talent, and an incredibly giant-hearted, open-hearted, in the business of healing his heart and in the business of helping others heal their hearts. Um, He is extraordinary and I have watched his transformation over the last couple of years since he actually left Los Angeles and the transformation is so extraordinary that I wanted to talk to him about it. Um, he has battled depression, he has battled addiction, and he speaks very um, openly and forthrightly about both of those. And I know that there are a lot of superhero listeners who deal with both of those as well. So, um, And most importantly, um, he wrote a book. It's not out yet, but I'm sure it will be out in short order. Um, The book almost got a book deal a couple years ago, and then they decided to make it into a TV show, and the TV show never happened. If you Google it, though, an open apology to all my ex-girlfriends, volume one. (laughs) The most hilarious title, an open apology to all my ex-girlfriends, volume one by Sterling Gardner, and here is Sterling. So we are here with Sterling Gardner, who is a magical creature. (laughs) I like that. When I first met you, you were about to have a TV show for that book. And it is like such a horror that you don't have a TV show for that book because (laughs) it's such a great thing. So tell us about that book and your Hollywood Days. The book was optioned for that TV show without being published. The book itself, the manuscript is done, 100% done. It's funny thing is I gave it to a screenwriter friend who's just an amazing writer for feedback on the actual book. It was my first draft. And she said, let me, would it be okay if I gave this to some producer friends? And I, I didn't even ask who, but I knew who she was and that they would be legitimate. And then she gave it to two huge producers and they both wanted the rights to it. And then there was this bidding situation and then CAA came on board. Like it was all this crazy stuff that was happening, but the book wasn't even published yet. And then it's funny because at the time I had a lit agent through CAA and we made the decision, let this be a lesson to everyone. We made the decision, let's hold off on trying to get a book deal and see if the show goes, because if the show does go, you're going to get a, a much better deal than you would without a name and a TV show. Even though I knew it was a long shot for the show to happen, we rolled the dice. The show did not happen <laughs> two years uh-huh. later. And then the agent was like, yeah, you know, it's just, it's, you know how it is. Momentum gathers and then it wanes. What I also didn't know is that I signed off my rights to the book, to this production company. And thank God I had, I had made a, a really good personal connection with the, the, them and they actually gave me the rights back, but it took, oh my God. it took a year. So I just got the rights back like six months ago, but it's kind of perfect because the one thing I was unhappy about the book was the ending. It just sort of was my dating life, this, this book. And then I moved to Asheville, got married, and now it has the happy ending that the book always needed. It's one of those like perfect. timing is everything. It, it happened for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to understand that at the time. But now looking back, I'm like, I, it couldn't have worked out any better. So you lived in Hollywood for a really long time. I want you to talk about this decision to, because we talk, we're talking about taking care of our hearts. And I just feel like you just, in the most dramatic way, you said, my heart needs something different. I'm going to take care of my heart. What is that? Where am I going? And Tell us about that journey. 
Um, you're pretty much describing what happened to a T right about two years before the book got optioned. I was kind of getting itchy and wanted to move. And, um, but I, it was a weird, the first few times I had, I thought it was really weird. I just thought I was going to be in Los Angeles for my rest of my life and I'd be doing stuff in the entertainment world. And that was that. So when those thoughts first came up, it was a little strange. And then, and then of course, you know how this works. As soon as you let go of something like, I don't, I don't really need to be here. I'll, I'll figure something else out. That's when the book got optioned and all this amazing shit happened when you have no attachment to it. Um, but then I was in a situation knowing that it takes about two years for a show to get made. Well, now I got to hang out because if a show about my life gets made and I'm going to be a producer and writer on it, how cool is that? So I was sort of in this weird limbo for a couple of years while the show was getting figured out. And, and it, when it didn't go, I was like, all right, I got to do something. This doesn't feel right anymore. And I was driving down, this, you, you know, these streets, I was turning, I was going to get almond milk on a Tuesday night at 8 p.m. And I pulled out of my driveway and got to the Santa Monica Boulevard to make a left to go to Gelson's, which is probably less than a mile away. There's freaking traffic all the way to Gelson's and I'm looking on the way back and it's even worse coming back. And I, and I was like, this is going to be a 45 minute trip on a Tuesday night so I can get almond milk. (laughs) 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 And I said out loud to myself, very nonchalantly, a voice went, you don't have to do this anymore, man. Like it was that calm And it was the first like real thing of like, you're not bound to LA. Like you felt like you were bound, but you're not. And I got my almond milk and I came back that night and Googled best places to live in the United States. And that's how I started the whole, whole thing. But I I just knew to, to circle back and actually answer your question. I could just feel everything in LA to me at the time felt like a chore. It felt like a production like going to get almond milk on a Tuesday was a production getting across town to do anything meetings. It just, I just lost all passion and then interest. And, um, but it was scary. Cause like I said, I didn't know, I thought this was just where I was going to be. So I was sort of getting into a depressed place before I had the realization I could actually move. And you know that, um, have you ever heard that, uh, it's a it's a true story that people use as a metaphor, that if you take a baby elephant and chain it to a tree, tries to break free for a while, and then after a while it just gives up because it doesn't yeah. think it's, it can move, and you can actually um, remove the chain as soon as it stops struggling and the baby elephant won't leave. That's how I felt about Los Angeles, that I was... Mm-hmm. Chained, chained there, but I wasn't. Um, and so I started, there's a guy named Nathaniel Dust who teaches this kind of breath work. And it was really intense. I was in a really not good place when I was leaving LA, like really, really not good place. And I was doing this breath work and I just kept seeing um, rivers and mountains and nature. And I sort of wake up and be like, you need desperately to be closer to nature. You desperately need to be closer to that. And I just had the same recurring visuals in in this, it's not really a meditation, this breath work. And so when I was Googling and looking at places, I felt, I was like, whoa, Asheville looks cool. And it's in the mountains. Um, I came out to visit. It turned out to be as good as the, it was on a bunch of top 10 lists. I got here and I did a trial run in October of 2016. And on day three, I was like, I don't know why, but I'm moving here. Wow. Oh, I, should, I should say when I was came out for the very first time, um, a, a couple months earlier, my friend was getting married in Charleston. I just rented a car. I was like, well, let's go see what Asheville's about just for 24 hours to see if it's worth coming back to. And I was about 20 miles outside driving in my little rental car, and I just got waves of goosebumps. Wow. And I was like, whoa, what was that about? And then I get another wave. And then as I drove closer and closer into the city, it just literally felt better and better. Oh, a lot of people, after I moved here, people say, yeah, there's a lot, there's a, there's a tangible energy here. And, you know, people are, it's a pretty hippie, new agey city for the most part. And people talk about there being an energy here. And usually I roll my eyes a little bit, but I I felt it before they said that. (laughs) 
and so, yeah, it just, it was a, and it was funny because a lot of people, when I told my LA friends that I was moving, there was shock that I, me personally, would ever leave there. Let's interrupt by saying there's a reason for that because you were performing regularly your art. So tell them what you were doing in Los Angeles. So it's, we, I think a lot of us though, were super excited for you because we knew that you were on the precipice of needing something, but tell, tell them why creatively you were in Los Angeles. You were here for a reason really, right? <laughs> yeah. When I moved there, I thought all I wanted to do was be an actor. And then overnight I went, I don't really enjoy this very much, but I'd started. <laughs> it's funny, you know, it's like, all the signs are there, but it takes getting hit in the face with a frying pan to actually see it. Um, but I had a writing partner and I started writing and then I started writing stuff on my own. And then the last few years that I was there, I was a huge into the storytelling scene, like the live um, David Sedaris styles, you know, personal essay storytelling. And that like that consumed me. That was all I ever wanted to do. I was like, how can I make a living doing this? This is this is my sweet spot. Um, you were incredible. You are incredible. You're an thank amazing you. storyteller. Yeah. Thank you. It was, it was, thank you so much. Um, so yeah, that's what I was doing. And then um, to your point, oh, so I, so people were shocked that I was leaving. And then the most fascinating thing was, I swear to you, nine out of 10 people that I told took a breath after they got over the shock that it was me leaving and said, oh my God, I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. Mm. I want to get out of here, but I, but I have fill in the blank. I have a family. I have kids. I have a job. I have whatever, 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 which we could talk a whole episode on justifications and, and, and stuff. But, um, right. I, I was fortunately not, I didn't have anybody. I did. I haven't had any family. It was just me and the burning desire to experience something that was a little, Closer to nature. And then when I moved, here's an interesting thing, Bridget. When I was looking back, I realized before I'd even moved to LA, when I was in college with these grandiose, you know, visions of what you were going to do, my entire, um, which I'd forgotten about, my entire motivation was to come to LA and be successful enough that I didn't have to live in LA. That I could, wow. that I could come in like Harrison Ford, like have a ranch somewhere and come in to do the work and then go back to my little wherever. So I was like, Whoa, well, that tells you a lot. It just wasn't, um, I made amazing friends there, but I, I realized that I was, um, trying to fit a round peg into a square hole and which I described as you can do it, but it's pretty uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I was shoehorning myself into an environment in a world that was not my home, figure, my figurative home. And you had no, you knew nobody in Asheville, correct? No one. That's so brave. Did you feel brave or did you just feel like the goosebumps yeah. brought you forward? Thank God I've done enough personal development work that I went, I, I don't know what's happening, but it is a strong call and I just have to follow it and have faith and, and see. I mean, I was for sure um, terrified about a lot of things, but the, the, the pull was too strong. It was just way too strong. Um, and also you said you didn't have family, but you had bear. Yes. I have my um, trusty pet <laughs> dog and, uh, he loves it. Who had really, I feel like, I swear to God, I feel like something really magical happened when you got bare, like your heart. I don't know. Oh. There was something, your heart just burst open. Well, you know, they, well, I don't know if you do or not, and it's none of my business, but they do say in certain 12 step circles um, <laughs> to focus on anything but yourself, like pour love mm. into something else. So right. that was, that wasn't even a conscious thing either. I just saw um, my friend Amy posted a picture of this dog needing rescued on Facebook. And I just kept, I mean, I have tons of friends that post those pictures, but I looked at his 
And I kept scrolling back and then I tried to find it again the next day. And then I clicked through to the website and I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? That you're like stalking <laughs> this dog. <laughs> well, this is a beautiful thing. It was nice. I went to meet him and he had a brother at the time and they both were super sleepy, like in that puppy sleep haze that I didn't know about because I'd never had a dog. And then I was like, well, man, I wanted a dog that had like, it was going to play with me. So I was like, well, I just put them both on the ground. I said, whichever one crawls on top of my chest first, I'll take him. And he got on my chest and I went, all right, this is my dog. And then she goes, oh, you picked one with the energy. I was like, this dog? All right. I didn't, I don't see it. And then I take him home and now he's, now he's got just bananas energy. I didn't know about the 12 step thing, but I had a friend who battled depression and at one point it just popped into my head to suggest that she go and volunteer. I said, even just one hour, just leave your house for one hour a week and volunteer at a shelter or anywhere that you feel like it. And she actually did go out and start volunteering and that started a whole progression for her of coming out of her depression which is something that I know that you deal with and you help the reason that I wanted you to be on here is that with your book that will hopefully soon be published and the tv show that will hopefully someday happen um, and with your facebook live posts and all of your writings you are a hundred percent in the business of healing your own heart and inspiring others to heal their hearts. That's who you are. So that's what I call a superhero of love. <laughs> so oh, that's why I wanted oh. to thank you. So, oh, but in oh. the realm of depression, I would love to hear you um, tell us how you have managed your heart in the face of depression and how you help others manage theirs. I'd say with an easier answer is the second part of that question, which is how I help others. And that's just by being super out there and in public and open about my own. And it wasn't, I, I didn't even set out. Well, I never really set out to help others. It was right. The, the actual writing of it was therapeutic for me. And then when I realized when I would share these things, whether it was a live story thing or a Facebook post or whatever it was, and I'd have strangers that would, private message me and ask me questions and thank me and all this stuff. And I was like, Whoa, there's okay. That's cool. That's like an amazing byproduct. And then that inspired me to start writing more about it. So it was had twofold, although I didn't set out to help people. Now I think you're, I consider myself obligated in a certain way. If I am willing to share my stuff and it can help one person not feel like they're, not going it alone or, or that somebody's, I mean, that thing I wrote about depression, that thing got 800 shares and I had um, nurses and mental health facilities in, in Great Britain messaging me, asking if they could share it with their, they have women that are in treatment, like 30 day depression treatment centers. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, anything that can help anybody. Yeah, for sure. So that was cool and mind blowing. And, um, how did I deal with it myself is that for a very long time, I didn't because I didn't even know what it was. Um, when you grow up and you're depressed, that's like, you don't have any context for it. I just, I just handled it as long as I could. And I knew I was like, man, I was always envious of chipper people. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> like that's the most hilarious way to put that. <laughs> like, I don't understand how these people like bounce out of bed in the morning. <laughs> um, so your God. whole life, really, Sterling, like as far as you can remember. Yeah, I remember um, even younger than this, but I think I was in sixth grade or something. This was so, um, such a stark thing to see, but we had uncovered some home movies and uh, my sister rode horses and stuff and we were, I was there to do, she was packing the horse onto a trailer to go to a show or something. And the camera panned over to me and I have one of those like farm fences, the three wooden thing. And I have my arms outstretched on one with my head hanging over the thing. It literally looked like a guillotine. Oh my God. I was like, Oh my God, this is so depressing to even see that that was just like my, general demeanor at that age. Oh my God. 
I know, right? It was, it disturbed me, actually. It disturbed me. Um, did your parents not have, did they see the guillotine that you were carrying around with you or were they unaware? I think they were um, too wrapped up in their own dysfunction to, um, I mean, I also got into some serious drug and alcohol issues in, in high school. So I, there were times because of that, that I would go talk to a therapist or whatever, but it was, that was all just a big cover up for all the shit underneath as it, as it always is. Self-medicating, right? Oh, oh yeah. 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 In college, I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I don't feel I'm not really passionate about much. I just, you just, you just learn as you get older. You're like, Hmm, not everybody's this bummed out. <laughs> 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 not everyone is like sleeping 12 hours. So, and then I guess I just, I guess some part of my soul knew something was wrong because when it was my first month in LA and I was renting a room from this guy who had an Anthony Robbins book on his floor and he was at work and I was unemployed and I picked that thing up. It was Anthony Robbins very first book and I read it cover to cover in like two hours and I was like, Oh shit there is a way to get out of this. That was like my first foray into trying to figure out depression and, and then anxiety was through personal development stuff. But so wait, so it's kind of, it's cool that you moved to LA. Had you not moved to LA, you might not have picked up that oh book. Man. If I hadn't followed a, a crazy dream to come to LA and be in the entertainment industry, I'm sure I would have picked some weird office engineering job and maybe have been one of those people that like snaps. I mean, uh, I didn't even know. I mean, I I mean, it's so like, it's, it's so cliche that like this depressed attention starved, uh, college kid wants to go into acting. I mean, it's like, of course you, you, (laughs) you want to be anyone but yourself and you want other people to clap for you being that person. Oh my God. That's so great. It's like looking back, I'm like, of course, that's what, and, and it's not an office job and it's not blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just, it's so cliche. I have an amazing, you'll appreciate this. I have an amazing metaphor, I guess, for people that move to LA. It's, it's, um, and I heard this once, I can't take credit for it, but it was um, a, mama, a mama lion had four baby lions. And she, when they were born, she licked the first baby lion and sent him off into the world. She licked the second baby lion, sent her off into the world, licked the third baby lion, sent him off into the world. Then she died and the fourth one moved to Hollywood. <laughs> so, oh my God. I always, I always refer to um, Hollywood <laughs> as the city of unlicked cubs. <laughs> oh my God, that's so hilarious. It's funny because <laughs> it's true. <laughs> And then, so sorry, and then you're in the midst of like trying to figure this out and doing like, I was following Anthony Robbins around the world. Like I dated his personal assistant for a time so I could go to these different events all over the world. Not solely because of that, but that's definitely a large factor. And then, that's so beautiful. And then reading, I mean, I was reading every self-help book. I'm a self-help junkie. Um, anything and everything from freaking classic Freud stuff to the most out there spiritual, like angelic realm stuff. Like I, when I say I was looking for any way to feel better, I mean that literally I would try anything with, for the possibility of feeling a little bit better or figuring something out that would lead to a better life or, or being happy. Just that, just that desperate search for happiness. And um, when you start reading all these books and feel like at times you're getting even worse, it's a real mind trip at that point. Is there, is there something that brought you to that place where you heard the voice, the almond milk voice? Were there any major factors around that time in your life that you would give credit to besides Bear? who I credit for the impulse to move the clarity of mind and heart to hear that voice that said, you don't have to do this anymore. It was just a, a, a daily dread of waking up in Los Angeles and not really understanding why, like it, 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 it snowballed, it accumulated. I mean, I was never a huge LA fan. Like it just, they're not 
The creative, smart, funny, witty people are my people, but the energy of Los Angeles and the entertainment industry in, as a whole aren't my people. So it was, it, was, it was increasing dread, not fully understanding where that dread was coming from because of that baby elephant thing. And, <laughs> and a lot of animal metaphors today. The breath work. And so the breath work was a, was a seminal thing for you. Okay. And then you got your body and soul and heart to Asheville. Did the depression disappear? Was it mostly Los Angeles? Um, it was a large part. So I rented a room in a house where you couldn't see any other houses and it had four acres in this wraparound porch. And there are circumstances when I left LA, um, to say, I would say that over my life, I've had a series of bottoming outs. You're like, well, this can't get any worse. Oh, really? <laughs> um, <laughs> me leaving LA felt like I mean, I remember in the plane headed back for the first time, or excuse me, leaving LA for the first time, and it felt like a scene in the movie where I'd escaped right before the entire city blew up to smithereens. Like, it felt wow. like I was escaping this fireball, um, which, yeah, I, and there are actually some circumstances that I can't talk about, but it was, it was, it was a rough, rough, rough go. I'll just say this. It was, so I, I get to Asheville and I literally sat on that porch staring into the trees like a mental patient for hours and hours, days and days on end, just trying to breathe fresh air, just trying to orient myself to where I live now and all this stuff. And I was having some physical issues. Um, health problems too that nobody in LA I, I dropped Bridget if I told you how much money I spent on like alternative healers and, and supplements and all kinds of stuff it like I can't look back because I'll get angry like, right, right it's my largest expense when I do my taxes every year I got people that got pieces of it but I didn't get any like whole relief and I found a guy it turned out to be um, a chronic fatigue issue which is a multi-layered issue but he did this. He's like the best guy in the world, apparently. He lives in Hawaii. But he, you have this 40-page intake. Um, and so I'm writing, like, history. He was, he was talking about mental health history, physical history, emotional history, like all this stuff. And I sent it to him. And he was, like I said, he's a GP, specializes in this chronic fatigue. And he's the first person. He read my sweetest man in the world. He's reading through it. We're having our first phone con consult. And he says, very very politely, he goes, has anyone ever told you um, that you've experienced quite a bit of trauma? <laughs> and I, oh, so sweet. And I was like, I was like, no, actually nobody has. And then this huge light bulb went off and I realized you don't, again, it's context. Like you don't necessarily think it's trauma at the time. Right. But when enough people go, dude, you've, you've got some crazy stories, which kind of, yeah spurred the writing of those crazy stories but you're just like at the time you're like yeah it's definitely a crazy story but you don't understand the cellular impact <laughs> that those events have actually had on you and shaped you and shaped your thinking and the reason that you're depressed and anxious all the time and when those traumas accumulate there was a time when i um and looking back i've seen multiple times now but there was a time when i was on that porch something happened and triggered me that I went into like a three-day PTSD thing. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, I think this guy's right. I think, I think I got to find something out. And I was, I was doing Google searches for trauma relief, trauma fix, trauma, this, that, and the other thing. And I stumbled into um, a thing called EMDR, which is, mm -hmm. has changed my life trajectory completely. I mean, that thing. Okay, great. I think it's the greatest secret in therapy in the world and that everyone mm -hmm. should do it. And for those people that don't know, it's called eye movement desensitization and rehabilitation. And that the only time that your brain is actually processing anything, especially trauma, is when you're in the REM phase of your sleep. That's when your eyes are darting back and forth, darting back and forth. They're literally processing everything that you've been taking in. Um, 
animals, you see animals that's, you know, get hit by a car, deer gets hit by a car, it stands up and it shakes itself off. Like mm-hmm. everyone but humans has the ability to literally shake off trauma. We don't, yeah. we lock it in. And if enough accumulates, you can go really insane. And uh, this EMDR, you just sit and there's a little machine that forces your eyes to do REM. Mm-hmm. While, while you're thinking of those actual situations that were traumatic and it process, it doesn't erase them like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, but it's pretty close. It erases all the negative associations you have with those. And it within, I did eight sessions in four weeks and I'm telling you within one week of finish. I mean, I could feel a massive improvement after each one. And at the end of the eight weeks, I was like, I'm a completely different person. Like, I don't even know who the LA actor guy was. Wow. I, I don't even know what the hell I was doing in LA. I'm, I'm, I feel at home here. This feels right. I feel like I have a calling more than being an actor or writing a screenplay. Like I want to write stories that can move and affect people. And it's the sole reason that I found a woman who's healthy and I'm in a healthy relationship. Mm, yeah. Um, Cause I'm not trying oh. to fix myself and try to be a hero and fix somebody else that's equally broken how soon after the emdr did you meet Lori? two months maybe wow that's extraordinary it's a miracle i'm I'm honest to god i describe it as a a miracle total miracle and um yeah it's it's uh my life is completely different i've been to la twice since and i walk around i'm like i don't even know this is so foreign to me. This feels so crazy foreign. I mean, obviously I connect and still love my friends, but the environment, I'm like, I don't know how you did this, man. So EMDR opened up this whole new world. This is your first marriage. And mm-hmm. um, after many apologies to ex-girlfriends, mm-hmm. <laughs> but tell us about managing your heart in something so brand new and extraordinary as a healthy relationship. Yeah, the EMDR, what it does is it, 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 it eliminates the negative associations that you have with certain people, places, events, with, with certain triggers. So if you're not triggered by those things anymore from the past, you're not being triggered by things that your brain links up with the past and the present. So like, I just don't have any of the same triggers that I had in relationships for all of my life and to now. Wow. Yeah, it's bananas. Like sometimes I'll... I'll sit and I'll do my little gratitude journal or whatever it is. And I'm just like repeating almost daily. I could choose anything, but I'm like, Lori, 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 Lori. Just because it's a daily miracle to me that I'm in a healthy relationship. (laughs) It really is a miracle. It really is extraordinary. I know. And here's the, the extra extraordinary thing is she doesn't know me as anyone else. Right. She only has the context of me now, which I love. But she, I mean, I took her to LA last time and she was all freaked out because she thought I was going to be like in the mo- most people who've never been there think it's like the movies. And she's like, Oh my God, your friends are so nice. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't hang out with assholes. <laughs> There's plenty of them in LA, but she thought it was going to be like less than zero parties and you know, like all that kind of stuff that exists, but not stuff that I was ever, ever around. Can you talk about, is there anything about holding your heart within a relationship that is different than anything that you've experienced previously? Yes. And I can't make the distinction between how much is wisdom and school of hard knocks versus how much like the not being triggered stuff helps. But like daily, I say, she is who she is. She's going to do what she wants to do. And you have no right to ask her to be anything other than that. Oh, that's beautiful. And she feels the same. And we often do completely stuff on our own and, and never give each other hard time about what we're doing. And, uh, that's, that's a miracle. I think part of that is me, trying to change people to fit into what my comfort zone idea of what they should be repeatedly. <laughs> so I think some of that's for sure wisdom. And then one thing we did at my asking was 
I just knew at my age now, I've got friends that have been, some of them divorced more than once and uh, hearing their stories and stuff. And I was like, man, we got to sit down before we get married. We got to have all the tough questions that nobody likes to ask on the table and out of the way. So yeah. I, I Googled questions to ask before marriage. Oh my God, that's so great. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were asking questions personal questions about finances, about debt, about love, about sex, about kids, about in-laws, about how you want to live, like all the stuff that like people have expectations that the other person is such and such a way, but it's never, it's never a hundred percent what your expectation is. And then people get let down and you're like married for a year and you're like, you spent money on what? So I was trying to head off as much of that stuff as possible. I mean, obviously stuff will come up, but I just saw my parents raging against each other about finances my whole life. And I was like, I'll, I'll do anything not to have that. Yeah. So. That's beautiful. Those are, those are, those are such great pieces of advice. Um, I was very moved. It, I feel like it was just a few weeks ago when um, Lori was at the dentist and there was a shooting in the building when a loved one is in danger. Obviously you just get cut to the very core I've heard my entire life at all these fucking Anthony Robbins events and all these other personal development, self-help people. And they're, and they're all their big messages. Like you got to find your why you got to find your why, like that's what'll get you up in the morning and that's what'll keep you writing. And that's what'll keep you, your kids that blah, blah, blah. Why, why, why? And I would like repeatedly manufacture a why that I thought would give me the passion to do something. So it was like, I'm going to inspire millions with my writing. I'm going to, I'm going to tell stories that make people laugh, which will heal people, which are all fine and dandy wise, but they never felt totally connected to me. There were things that I thought I could do, but they certainly didn't get me up in the morning. And then I realized um, that my why is Lori. So that Ah, everything that I do is in some way, shape or form to help her have a better life or be happy, which in turn makes me feel good and happy. And I know we could get into a thing of like, well, you're not supposed to do things based on what other people's reactions are and all that shit. But I blow that argument up by saying, I'm not doing it for her reaction. I'm doing it because it feels good to me. And they say, happy wife, happy life, right? That's that's another big part of it. (laughs) They've been saying that for a long time. Yeah. Tell us what you're doing now, what you're doing with that heart and helping people heal their hearts. I'm they should follow it. you and where they should follow you. So they should, should do you want people to follow you on Facebook? I'm going to get super, um, and I know you're down with this. I'm going to get super spiritual with you for a minute. I started about, it's been going on two months. I started um, two months ago, a 30 day meditation challenge where I would just commit every single morning to the specific thing that I do, a certain way of writing and, and sitting um, by myself and thoughts and visualizations, all this, more of a morning ritual than specifically meditating. Because every time I'd ever done it, I'd had some amazing thing happen. I was like, well, why aren't you doing this every day? You're, that's stupid. Um, and so I wanted to prove I could do it. So I was doing that and I was having all these like crazy divine download stuff happening, just like stuff coming in that I couldn't write fast enough for. And I kept seeing, um, this is going to blow you away. It's going to be great. Um, I kept seeing, man, I spoke at South by Southwest a few years ago on healing through storytelling. And I've always wanted to do like some sort of retreat where I would lead people in some sort of transformational writing, spiritual retreat, like, being in a cabin with a group of people's like connecting on that level and helping people transform based on what I know would be like amazing. And so I continued past the 30 days and I've done it every day for almost 60 days and I'm getting more and more things. And I recently posted on Facebook that I'm just going to start sharing this journey because I'm getting these crazy. I'll tell you something crazy that happened. I was walking my dog and I'm looking down at him and he's just wagging his tail walking. He's just happy to be outside and all this stuff. And I'm looking down at him and I'm beaming, right? I'm beaming. Oh. I'm like, God, I wish this dog had any idea how much love I had for him. And then I was like, well, on some level he knows. And then I saw, visually saw this like, it looked like 
like in a, like if you drew an animation of tires spinning out the, yes, yes. But, but it was like gold light between us it was just reciprocated oh. love that i was seeing between us and i got home from that walk and i was sitting on the doing my little morning ritual thing and i'm trying to connect with i call it spirit source god whatever you want to call it and i just started breaking down into tears because i realized that intense amount of love that I had for that dog in that moment is the exact intense amount of love that spirit has for me. Unconditional, 24-7, and that intensity never drops. Like, I might leave my dog and go work on something else, but, like, that's just on me 24-7. And I was, like, overwhelmed with, I don't know, overwhelmed with that realization. And so I keep having these meditations because I'm having these fucking insights this big, right? And yesterday... I'm meeting with this woman who I know she's a, becoming a friend out here. She's like, I want to, I know you do marketing. I want to talk about some business ideas. She tells me these two ideas, which are really cool. I don't know. I just feel like I should ask you. She said, would you be interested in hosting a meditation retreat? My friend owns a, a property in the mountains here that is a bunch of cabins that sleeps about 20 people and I could get people to come to the retreat. I'm oh my like, God. It's like two weeks after I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. Somebody just handed me the opportunity. And so I'm like on this mission and it's extremely, you can appreciate this too. We're alike in a lot of ways. Like I have a very sarcastic comedic side and then I have a very spiritual side. And oftentimes I don't mix those two crowds for out of my own mm -hmm. insecurities and fears of what people are going to think on either side. I have just been like, you know what, I'm on my Facebook page, I'm just going to start talking completely openly about my spirituality, all the weird love, visual love things I see and spirit. Like, I just have to, I just feel like I'm in a place where I can't not anymore. And it's mm -hmm. scary it to put mm -hmm. my beliefs out in that way. And mm -hmm. because a lot of the people that quote unquote follow me, like know the funny side of me and I'm just like, I'm sharing those kind of like little downloads and stuff that I get because I feel like I have to, that I'm supposed to, and I don't know what they're supposed to lead to. I don't even care. I'm just sharing nuggets as they come to me. Do you want to share the ritual that you do for your morning pages? Because it's, it's pretty inspiring, this, the results that you're getting. Do you want to share that with people? or is It's 25 minutes long. It's very... Um, organized and I first for five minutes I literally sit and picture all of the ways that I'm receiving so it's literally like I'm taking in air and oxygen all the colors that I can see all the textures that I can see every sound that I can hear like all the stuff that the universe is giving to you without effort mm. so getting wow. getting your mind into a or your more than your mind getting your energy into a place that you are consciously aware of all the things that you're receiving and not having to do anything for the reception of that. And then the second five minutes is just connecting into that reception. So I, for some reason it works for me, but you know, those movies where they like, they show like the microscopic view of like the blood going through the veins into the heart. And then it's like, you're taking mm -hmm. a breath and then the tree and then the photosynthesis, like all of that stuff. Like I start yeah. getting those pictures because I start to think, how ridiculously connected everything is. So I picture like the photos, the sunlight hitting the tree and my own version of what the photosynthesis looks like inside there. And then I'm inhaling that and that's enriching my blood and then my heart. So I'm just sort of like literally connecting myself to all of that abundance stuff while I'm just breathing. So I'm just trying to get tuned into that after that. And I, I don't take credit for this either. There's a thing that this guy said that I really like, he goes, I don't like the word grateful only because that means you're getting something for nothing because the word is Latin for gratis, which means free. And he's like, oh. I, be I believe in energy exchange. So he uses the word active appreciation. So you can appreciate things that happen to you that you've accomplished, but you did put some forth effort to have those things happen. And here's, an, here's a miracle thing that happened. So in the last three days that I've been doing active appreciation, the visuals that have been coming to me have been historically things that were that I would consider tragic and traumas. So I've not gotten to the point where I actively appreciate these horrible things that 
have happened to me and gone through. Like if that's not freaking transformation, wow. <laughs> those stories that used to run my life in a negative way, I now have like a viscerally happy, tear-filled reaction to. Um, wow. The fourth s- segment of five minutes is um, just a ton of what I just asked myself, what if, and then fill in the blank. This is like Abraham Hicks stuff, but it's basically visualization. So it's what if you were a New York Times bestselling author? What if you won the lottery? What if you had this car? What if you and Lori you know, died peacefully in your sleep when you're both a hundred, like all these amazing, <laughs> all these amazing like things that you want and just getting into the active vibration of putting that out into the world. Because prior to that, you've basically pre-paved the reception of those things. And then you're actively putting those things out. And then um, at the tail end of that, and I took this from Abraham and I think it's super powerful. I stand outside or at the window so I can see out and up. And I say, I repeat what she said in some meditations. And she says, um, call whatever you call it by name, if it's God or spirit or source or mother nature or Henry, whatever. And just (laughs) um, audibly acknowledge, just say, spirit, I acknowledge that there are universal forces pointed directly at me. And no matter who I'm doing, no matter what I'm doing, no matter who I'm doing it with, no matter where I'm going, I know that you are there with me to assist me, guide me, love me, support me, be there for me. And that, when I do that, I get the goosebumps and I'm just like, holy shit, there are literally, literally energies out there whose only job is mm-hmm. to look after and show me the way. And yeah. then... The last five minutes, which usually takes more than five minutes, is I just scribble furiously all the downloads that I'm getting. So if you're in that super connected space, you're going to be getting some amazing insights and and shares and, and nuggets. So I just, it could be the craziest shit that comes to your brain, but I just, I write it down. And that puts me in a crazy good space to start the day. That's so beautiful. I'm so glad you shared it. It's really great. I I have to say this unbelievable synchronicity happened, which is that last night I had to pre-record a podcast that's going to go up when I'm on vacation. And I was, I, a lot of my friends and I have been having super, super stressful weeks in the last several weeks where like, you just think, well, that's, that's the maximum that it could be sent to me. You know, that's the maximum that I'm going to be required to handle. And then it ends up doubling. Like you've got to be kidding. No way. There isn't now a plumbing disaster as well on my plate. Um, That kind of thing, or somebody getting sick or falling and injuring themselves and being in the ER, those kinds of things. And, So I recorded a meditation, which is, I am supported and I am loved. And the image was of 50 angels surrounding you with a hundred hands on you of their angelic hands on you. And the mantra is just, I am loved. I am supported. And it's exactly what you have. It's like the theme of this, this talk today. And that just happened last night. (laughs) I love that. And I got to email you. We should talk another time too, but I yeah. have <laughs> periodically in my life visits from angels and they've told me that they're going to give me 15 lessons from the angels. And I have 12 of them. I've been served 12 of them and it's funny to bring it up because I haven't heard from them in a while. And recently I'm like, I really want to know what the other, what the last few are, but I'll send that to you. Um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty that- there's no question in my mind that it was, I mean, they said, we are giving you 15 lessons from the angels. And When did that start? Um, over 10 years ago. But they don't, wow. they don't come all the time. They've just come and very first one was three. And I think I got two. And then I think I've only gotten one at a time. And it's a funny thing. Wow. Like every, time I, every time I reread it, I'm like, oh my God, these are so good. And you're like, dude, they told them to you. Like you should be giving them, but you forget. You know what I mean? Like That, that sounds they, like another book, Sterling. I was thinking maybe a little one that you put out at the at the cash register at Anthropology. That would be incredible. Okay, anything else that you want to say? Anything? Well, I'm really, really um, happy for you that you are on this journey to supporting your own work and your own book and that you believe in 
I love the superhero of love um, concept and mentality. And I think you should give yourself major kudos and pat on the back, even though you're having a stressful week that you're doing things <laughs> like that you're doing things like this podcast and you're, you're actively promoting this. That tells me how much your passion is in line with what the book is. And that's, that's something that you can't teach that not everyone has. And you have no idea where it will lead, but it will definitely, um, I call it, you know, you're following the universal breadcrumbs without knowing where the destination is. Right. That's great. That's so. great. Universal breadcrumbs. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for that acknowledgement. And oh my God, I'm so blown away by, I, I remember the first time I met you and, and the television deal was just the, the exciting news of the day. You had just like, I think that week signed the deal or something and, and um, watched you. And I went to many of your performances. I, I adore your work. I, and that's another thing I want to say, because um, if they want to see recordings of your spoken word work, YouTube, right? Yeah, I have most of them on YouTube. Do you have your own channel? Or should they just search for Sterling Gardner? Yeah, I do have a channel. They can find everything on there and some other really okay. random stuff. <laughs> well, they'll see how hilarious you are. Not that you weren't hilarious here as well at times. <laughs> you were mostly wise today. I put on my wise cap, not my wise guy cap. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Sterling. Yes, of course. That was Sterling Gardner. Check him out, you guys. Google him. Find him on YouTube. Find him on Facebook. S-T-I-R-L-I-N-G Gardner. And um, if you have a chance, go over to, you, to uh, iTunes and give us a review. It'll bring more superheroes into the fold. And we need more superheroes of love. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.